0: This is The Resilient Life, where we believe that every human will struggle in this life. Our challenge is to struggle well. I'm Ryan Mannion. I lost my brother to war, my mom to cancer, and I'm the daughter of a retired Marine. I'm also a wife, mom, author, and president of one of the nation's leading veteran service organizations. Join me and some incredible guests as we explore the value of struggling well through life's inevitable challenges. All right, welcome to another episode of the Resilient Life podcast. I gave a little hint in my story about who I was going to be recording with with my Eagle jersey and no surprise, we are here today with Lane Johnson. Lane, welcome to the Resilient Life.
1: Thanks for having me on. Uh, Good Friday.
0: Yeah. Uh, You know, We were talking about what this kind of like signifies. And, you know, if you're a Philadelphia Eagles fan, uh, the name Lane Johnson is uh, not foreign to you. And Philadelphia Eagles All-Pro, Pro Pro Bowl just announced again. Is this your fifth time Pro Bowl selection? Um, Super Bowl champion captain, Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee, which we're going to talk more about, and then – Sean behind the camera here as we were talking about you, Lane. Sean said, "And a no brainer, no brainer, Hall of Famer." So um, that'll that'll uh, probably be to come. But more than that, what I'd love to dive a little bit deeper into today is Lane, your journey um, to playing football for the Philadelphia Eagles since 2013. Mm-hmm. Uh, what that's meant to you, some of the trials and tribulations you've gone through uh, as a professional football player, and then your broader connection with the Travis Mannion Foundation. And so I think kind of kicking it off with just sharing how we became connected. Um, and, you know, I was reached out by your team and you were looking to and already meeting with Gold Star Families. And um, your team had asked if the Travis Mannion Foundation could help connect you with gold star families, as you went into the, the later stretch of the year at, at all of your away games. And so we've been doing that. Um, I know you've met with some terrific families that I've had the privilege of, uh, knowing over the years at the Travis Manning foundation, but I'd love to kind of start there and ask you why, I mean, I guess why you do that, why you chose to, you know, spend the night before a big game meeting with gold star families across the country?
1: Yeah, so initially, um, you know, I hired my trainer, Gabe Rangel, uh, who's an ex-Marine uh, back in 18. So this is something that he did in, in his former position. Um, you know, he had the opportunity to be at big uh, music events and bring Gold Star families in. But, um, you know, just growing up, uh, my dad was always big, um, you know, with helping veterans. Uh, my grandpa was in World War II um, in Vietnam, so... Uh, I just felt like I always had a special place in my heart just because of the sacrifice and just uh, the amount of stuff that they had to overcome and uh, and deal with. And so I'll always envy that. And, um, yeah, just uh, doing, I think, really for the away purposes, because I feel like we have a pretty good fan base in Philly until uh, until we met y'all. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, this was already going on. And then we heard about Travis and his story and how he was, uh, you know, Love is is local is fellow Philadelphians and um, yeah I mean really um, I think having these families in I just you get to hear their stories and then really you know from most their point of views your foundation has provided the most help and so like far as them overcoming tragedy and having to move on with life and, and how to deal with that and how it affects everybody and so I fuck like a lot of growth has been done by these people, a lot of relief and healing. And so, um, you know, I think that's really what it's all about. And that's what I've learned, um, you know, with meeting these families.
0: What has it meant to you hearing their stories, you know, the night before you're walking into a big game? And and I, I have to imagine it put thing, puts things into perspective for you. Yes. Um, you know, I connected you with, uh, I, I I know personally all of the families that you've met with at the away games, um, but one in particular is Veronica Ortiz. Right. And so I'm very close with Veronica. And when you had asked uh, to find a family uh, before the Cowboys game, uh, I thought of her immediately because, uh, as you know, and I'm sure when she shared the story with you, her late husband was a diehard Cowboys fan. And I actually said to Brian, I said I've got a great family to meet before the Cowboys game, but I this this woman is a diehard Cowboys fan and and you know, I I the rivalry, all of that and I loved she put up a post after she met with you and she's wearing your jersey and it's you and her and um her 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 new husband and Gabe and she said uh, my fellow Dallas Cowboy fans, you know, before you say anything about me in an in an Eagles jersey, let me explain why I'm wearing it. And she shared the story of how much it meant for you to meet with her. And what I loved is she said at the end, you know, the one thing Lane said to me before we left was, "Go out and cheer as hard as you can for your Cowboys." And I thought that was so cool that you you said that to her, how much that meant to her. Um, so you know, I'd love to kind of gain from you what hearing their stories does for you.
1: Yeah, I, I think I like how she stood her ground. She didn't budge. Uh, <laughs> being a fan. But uh, yeah, I, I think meeting with them, like the night before the game, it just uh, allows me to get outside my world. And, and so like <laughs> intrinsically focused and then you hear, you know, things about, you know their situation in in real life and um you know puts things into perspective and yeah I mean at the end of the day we're we're all entertainers of what we're doing but um yeah I mean there's there's a human side to it so yeah I mean that's really been kind of the the message with all of them um you know they love their you know they love they love their loved ones they realize they um you know died doing what they what they loved and what they um were living to do so um, yeah, it's just been really uh I guess refreshing just to have that and uh like I said, you know, you get so wrapped up in the season and doing your routine, and it's so refreshing to to um get outside yourself,
0: yeah, I love that. Let's talk a little bit because again, one of the things that that we've talked about um is the connection between mental health and you know, some of the things you've gone through and then the mental health, that epidemic that's happening within the the military community. And, you know, for those that don't know, um, you know, Lane's been challenged with some, uh, you know, mental health issues over the course of his professional career. And you were very open about coming out and sharing your story. And I shared with you, um when we were down at the NovaCare complex this idea of how impactful it is for you to destigmatize mental health especially in professional sports um and that's an important thing that we're trying to overcome within the military community for our um veterans as well can you walk us through a little bit how that started um, kind of the place you were in, and then what gave you the what re, why you decided to actually speak out and share and not kind of keep your challenges to yourself,
1: yeah. so I always had you know performance anxiety, I think I just remember it beginning when I was in junior college because I knew I had one year to have an impactful season to try to get where I'm going, division one. And so. Uh, started there i just remember the symptoms um i feel like my my ability to focus was kind of taken captive um you know affecting my appetite my weight and just really was a cycle for me you know even after getting drafted you know you think that personal achievements or all that will kind of take care of it but if i could just amplified it so for me um you know, when I had my injury in 2019, I had the surgery on my ankle two thousand twenty. 2020. Uh, when I was coming back in uh, uh my, you know, my ankle didn't feel well. Um, and I remember in training camp being like, this might be my last season. Because, And I told my mom before, like, the first game, I was like, you know, that I wasn't in a good space. And so, yeah, after I missed those games and, um, you know, came back, finished the season, my, uh, you know, my ankle was still going through it, but I felt like what helped me was, uh, like I said, put everything into perspective. I thought like i owed my teammates to get back there because, you know, everybody's counting on one another on a football field. And like for us, we're a perfect play to work. It takes everybody doing their job, you know, one, you know, some somebody missing their assignment or going to the wrong person, um, it all happened so fast, so I felt like I owed it to them. And, uh, yeah, so after I missed those games, instead of making up some excuses, you know, they were just saying personal matters, I, uh, you know, I felt like it could help a lot of uh, players that were in similar situations. Um, and so I felt like it created a lot of good dialogue. And like you said, uh, it's so crazy that, you know, we, we don't learn about psychology you know, really, unless you're choosing that as a as a major in, in college, you don't really learn about it in school. It's not talked about, um, you know, which is probably the number one thing you need to get a hold of to for your life to be put on in a good direction. And so, yeah, it's just create a lot of good dialogue. And so, I talked to a lot of players. I talked to a lot of people, um, and I think the the way to do it is in a personal, intimate. You know, not out in the front in front of a whole lot of people. And so uh yeah you can turn people's life around uh pretty quickly. Um and so So yeah. was
0: there was there a so you missed how many games? 2 or 3? Three? Three. 3. Was there a what was the deciding factor because I have to imagine obviously during the season for you to say I need to take a step back, you're yeah. missing 3 games in the season was was there a pivotal moment where you where you had to make that decision where you were like, I can't do it anymore. This is too much. And- yeah, I
1: mean, I mean, it started in training camp. It was just, you know, so I had the surgery in 2020. I played seven games, and then I re my ankle again, the tightrope, and I had to get deltoid surgery. So my foot felt like a piece of wood, and I couldn't – I didn't have flexibility in it. I couldn't push off of it. Mm-hmm. And so – you know, for ordinary person, that's fine. You can rehab it. But for me, I gotta. I, you know, my body is everything for um, what I'm doing, and I felt like it impacted my run game. And so, from the outside, everything might look good to the average person, but me being critical of myself, knowing that my foot was stopping my ability to make plays that I'm normally able to make, I'm like, I'm at a crossroads to where, um, you know, do I want to be stopped at kind of my peak? instead of playing and being less than what I fully, you know. So all that came into conclusion. Um And, yeah, I mean, the biggest thing was to finish the season. I owed it to my teammates. We ended up making the playoffs uh, that year. But really it was just a big momentum uh, switch, you know, for me personally. And then, you know, as that season, uh, it was kind of similar season. We started off rough, and at the end we ended up making a comeback. So, uh yeah, it was a really – you know, it was a really big moment for me. I, I wanted to, like I said, I really didn't want to disclose it, but you know, after three weeks, I feel like people already knew. So if I was to go out there and lie, it wouldn't have been any better. So yeah, you know, after all that, it's 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 been able to help a lot of people. So you know, I'm I'm here with their uh, disclosure.
0: I can like so relate to that. You know, I talk a lot um, about I was diagnosed with PTSD. Not after my brother was killed, but it was actually um five years later, after my mom died of cancer. And I think that I had pushed away for five years. You know, after Travis was killed in Iraq, I just kept going. I did anything I could to keep busy, and I didn't focus on myself. Um, I thought I was focusing on myself by keeping busy, but I really pushed away kind of dealing with that loss. And it was after my mom died that kind of everything just hit me. And it was just like, oh my gosh, in 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 five years, I lost my brother and my mom. And it was just like my nuclear family of four. It was now just my dad and I. And I went through some debilitating anxiety where for a long time, I was, I didn't even want to leave my house. Um, I would wake up every morning, like crippled by just anxiety that I could not push away. And I started seeing a therapist, which I told no one about because even that I was, I I was kind of ashamed of, I didn't want to admit that I like needed that help. And, um, a few months into therapy and I've shared this story before, um, the therapist said, you know, I'm, I'm ready to kind of give you an official diagnosis. And I'm like, I I wasn't coming to you for a diagnosis. I was just looking to, you know, coming and talking to you was making me feel better. Lo and behold, she diagnosed me with PTS and I left that appointment really pissed off. I wasn't like, Oh, finally I get it. This is why I was like, how, how can I be diagnosed with that? You know, I almost didn't feel worthy of that diagnosis because it's so synonymous with those men and women who are in combat and they come back. And I was like, I shouldn't be diagnosed with PTS, but I realized I had suffered some really traumatic times. And I went for probably about a year without sharing other than, you know, very close family and friends that I had been diagnosed with PTS and it was at a summit for the Travis Mannion foundation in San Diego with a bunch of veterans. And I was speaking and it wasn't part of the plan, but I just shared with them, like, hey, you know, six months ago, I was diagnosed with PTS, and even my coworkers who were in the room, like, they had no idea. And I felt such a rush of just emotion that and and like it felt I felt relieved that I was yeah. able to kind of share my story, and I didn't feel like I was hiding something from the world.
1: Yes, because that story that's been hidden for so long, once it's brought to light, and then you, yeah, yeah, it, it is. It's a it's a huge emotional release, and you feel, oh, you can approach everything a little bit differently. Um, and so, like I said, it's all about getting educated on it. It's it's all weird. It's unusual to you know kind of dive into this sort of um, you know area. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of healing. There's a lot of good things being done and you're a lot more aware, I guess, moving forward. And yeah. so,
0: yeah, it's so- good stuff. And, and I think about, you know, one of the other things we touched on um, when we were over at the Nova care complex, I brought um uh, one of my friends, Joey Faye. Uh, he was a football player at the Naval Academy. Um, he's still a, a Marine reservist lives, you know, diehard Eagles fan. So when I told him I was going to film with you, he was like, I'm in. He came down with me and, and, you know, I loved what he was saying to you. Like we're the alphas, right? We're not supposed to have to deal with stuff like that, mental stuff. And, um, you know, when you think about the things that you say you're entertainers, but as professional athletes, um, you go through a lot of the same transition pieces that our military veterans go through as well. So, you know, you think about, like, I've seen a lot of, we had an NFL player, Kurt Maggett, who ran the Marine Corps Marathon with us this year, retired NFL player. And Kurt was sharing how when he left the NFL a couple of years ago, he was completely lost. And he ended up joining our marathon team. And I think about that kind of transition for professional athletes who all of a sudden, you guys kind of lose your identity and your your purpose, right? It's like, you're talking about, the anxiety you were dealing with in junior college. Right. And so your entire life has been leading up to where you are right now as an NFL player. And at some point um, that's going to end for you. You know, you're no longer going to be an NFL player. You're going to be a former NFL player. And so I think like preparing for that is super important. Just as we talk about with our military veterans, like they need to prepare for that transition when they take off that uniform and you guys take off that uniform, like that world goes away to some degree and you have to find something else to feel purposeful for and something else that that makes you want to wake up every day and, you know, get after it. Do you think about that at all?
1: Yeah, your your identity or, you know, who you are isn't what you do. So, mm-hmm. although, yeah, it's been a, a dream you've been chasing since you've been a childhood. You also have to deal with the, um you know the reality of it is that everybody has a transition period and if you can adapt and really kind of know your purpose um you know as as things are unfolding and know what you want split, to split, uh, put your time into and, and be passionate about so yeah for, forming another identity it's like a man it's like a man of many coats um you know you have to uh, be able to once that part of your life is done, make that transition. And so, but I, I think like what you're saying is that a few people really plan that out and kind of just live, you know, living their dream. And then they they put all their eggs in that basket. And then, like you said, when it's done, they don't feel fulfilled. They don't feel the same type of rush that they had from their job or or playing football. So, and they're always seeking it. So it seems like they're always chasing. And so, like you said, it's like you. You know, your team's not there anymore, so now your purpose is kind of, you know, what am I doing?
0: Yeah. Um, I was reading an article that it was right, I guess you got it was right after you guys had beat San Fran last year, right before the Super Bowl, and you were kind of talking about your journey, and there was something that stuck out and I loved it. Um, you were talking about your mom, um, and when you had been injured and you were really struggling, you said that your mom, um, your mom used tough love with you. And, um, I read that line and, you know, you, you, you didn't respond well to it. I would say like you were, you were kind of like, you know, pushed it away. And, um, I was like, oh my gosh, I can relate so much because, you know, my, my dad's a retired Marine Corps Colonel. So he operated with tough love. And so when I read that line about your mom, and I think like you said in the article, you kind of said like you came around to like you kind of understood what she was doing. And, you know, I've come to a place where um, I can now appreciate my dad's tough love. Um, And so when you think about that and you think about that journey, like what do you think about this idea of how you approach someone who's struggling? Like, is it with a tough love approach? Do you have to kind of know the person and feel the person for, for how you're going to react to get them where they need to be?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's definitely dependent on each person, but, you know, I felt like my mom kind of learned that from her dad. It was kind of passed down, but the premise behind it is that, um, you know, something maybe a little bit, shortcoming um just emotionally how you feel with it but the benefits are gonna be in the end so a lot of time a parent doesn't want to help their child too much so they have the ability to fight and adapt and and you know really um find their place in this world so you know like I said they sometimes they feel like if you give too much you do more harm than good but yeah as far as the mental health um you know it, it definitely goes down uh, to a person, but if somebody is caught in a cycle or a repetitive, repetitive, I guess, set of habits and it keeps going in the same place, then yeah, I think tough love should be applied.
0: Yeah, it's this idea that, you know, I always say, like, you want to be there for someone, right? But you also don't want to enable someone to stay in the place that they're in, right? And it's like, how do you get that person? to want to better themselves, you know, and sometimes it is a little bit of mix of um, compassion and tough love. And so, um, but, but I could relate so much. Yeah, I love it. And I was, and and another thing that I absolutely loved is this was a, a tweet that you put out on September 4th of this year. And you were talking about Brandon Brooks. And you said, Brandon Brooks is the one who gave me the courage to open up about mental health. We have so much in common. Raised by a single mom, obsessed with sports, perfectionists, 5.30 a.m. throw obsessions, and fighting demons. Find your Brandon. So I read that. And my dad wrote a book called Brothers Forever. The book is about Travis and Travis's best friend, Brendan Looney. Travis and Brendan... Were roommates at the Naval Academy, and Travis went into the Marine Corps. Brendan went on to become a Navy SEAL, and they were, um, they always were pushing themselves to be the best versions of themselves. Um, Travis was killed in 2007. Brendan was the person that was there for us in a huge way after Travis was killed. Uh, three years after Travis was killed, Brendan was killed in Afghanistan. And so Travis and Brendan are buried next to each other in Arlington National Cemetery. And my dad shared a story in his book about, uh, it was actually a bike riding thing that they were doing through Annapolis. And long story short, they, you know, big competition. And my dad ended it with find your Brendan. And I saw that tweet about find your Brandon, and I was like, oh my gosh! And and it is, it's like find that person, right? Find that person that pushes you to do more. And so, it seemed like for Brandon Books, he was the one that pushed you to kind of share your story and be vulnerable and be out there. Um, and so, I just I loved that connection with find your Brandon and find your Brendan.
1: Yeah, I just uh, you know I felt like we were very similar, like you said, on a lot of levels. It's like our nervous system was wired the same. We were constantly anxious and stressed. We were really good at our drives, but it took an awful price on us. And so, yeah, his his stuff, uh, I believe it was like in 2018. But, I mean, everything he was dealing with, I was dealing with too. And mine just came a little bit later. But um, I feel like he might have been ridiculed a lot more than what I was because, like I said, the timing, even, you know – Four, four, or five years ago, um, we weren't where we were today, you know, as far as in sports and people being vocal about it. But yeah, I think I think his story just resonated with me because I felt like we were very similar. We played next to each other. We relied on each other, but we were feeling just mutually the same um, you know, terror just because we were perfectionists, um, we demanded that we played at a certain level and we put that stress on us. So uh yeah, it's hard uh, you know, for many people to can say they've had that relationship where, you know, where they're out there in front of everybody and uh, having to really, truly trust one another. So um, yeah, I mean, he's definitely, definitely a big, a big part of our career.
0: Good stuff. All right. Well, I have to, I have to talk a little bit about the Eagles as a diehard Eagles fan. And, you know, one of the things that I was thinking was the contrast with you. So, Super Bowl wins versus Super Bowl loss, right? Um, I was right here in in my basement, right in the other room with a hundred people when you guys won the Super Bowl. You can't see it, but I've got the cover of the Philadelphia Inquire on the wall right here, along with a Super Bowl champion plaque above it. Like that moment was everything, obviously, for not just the Eagles, but the city of Philadelphia you know, we were down at the parade. We rode the high all the way through. It was incredible. And last year I did the same thing. I I was like, I got to replicate it. Oh, we also opened a, we also opened a bottle of Dom Perignon from like 1995 that night after we'd been holding on to it. We're like, when Uh the right occasion comes. And it was like, that was the occasion. But then last year I did the same thing. I was like, we're going all out. I had a sheet cake, this big, you know, ready to go big party and the Eagles lost. And I actually put a post up that night. I was sitting at my kitchen counter. Everybody had left. I was eating the cake from the box and I could hear my eight-year-old son upstairs crying because he literally went upstairs crying in his bedroom. And I was like, wow, a, t- a tale of two cities, you know, from that win and that loss. And here I am, you know, I'm just th- the middle-aged woman in Philadelphia that that is part of this bigger community of fans. But I'd love to know what that felt like for you because obviously you're on that field. And what is that juxtaposition between the high of the win and then that low of a loss? And how do you process those two things?
1: Uh, yeah, the win, um, definitely what you're looking for, but... Uh, You know, even after the win, I I realized I was back at work like nothing happened about two months after that. So after that experience, it really put in perspective to me just how fast the years come and go. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was definitely a painful loss just because it was such a close game. It came down the wire. But, um, yeah, I think I just my appreciation for it, you know, as I've gotten older, has increased. Um, So, yeah, I mean, for me, I just kind of, you know, even now, you know, you get to this point in the season after all these games, preseason games, training camp, I, I get numb to really uh, the emotions. Like even at the playoffs, the Super Bowl, I'm just out there. Such a long season. I, I'm I'm in robot mode. I've right. been doing walkthroughs for you know half the year, every day. You know, play after play. So it's just me, just another game. But uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully we have a opportunity to get there again. Uh, But like I said, it is special and I, you know, it's so, so hard to get there, but you just appreciate the guys that you're with along the way.
0: Yeah. And I'd have to imagine that, especially, you know, you, you've been with the Eagles for what is this your 11th season with the Eagles? Yeah. And so I would imagine that last year, you know, you played probably a, a pretty significant leadership role for some of the younger guys, you know, that, that walked into that game. And, you know, just again, it's any given Sunday, but that's the game. Right. And so that loss, you know, for you, you probably know how to handle it a little differently than some of the younger guys, um, in the NFL on the, on the team. And so I, I would imagine that you were kind of a voice of levity after that loss for sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, um, uh you know, even cracked a few jokes. I think first thing I said, well, good luck next year.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and I loved, I loved the, um, I loved the Kelsey documentary and just shows him back in the hotel room, reading books to his kids, you know, yeah. and they're like, Oh, uncle Travy won, you know? And he's like, yep. Uncle Travi won, you know? And it's just like, yeah, that's real life. Guess what? You know, Jason Kelsey went back to the hotel room and put his kids to bed, you know, read him books. And as they told him that he lost the game. And so I think, you know, thinking about it from that perspective, but I also think a lot about that brotherhood too, um, especially with you and Jason Kelsey. And I loved when it was announced that you were the Walter Payton man of the year nominee for the Eagles, the video, uh, with Jason and, you know him talking about he's getting super emotional talking about like why this award is being given to you from the Eagles or this nomination and automatically I thought about like that brotherhood that probably exists between the two of you and what that means and can you talk about that a little bit just like the brotherhood with your teammates um and you know again with with Jason itself.
1: Yeah, we just – we've been in a lot of, lot of battles together, and it's one of these battles where you're highly criticized, scrutinized, uh, you know, having having court meetings in your locker room after every game. The pressure is no bigger here at this place. So, being able to to deal with that for all these years with him, we just realized, uh, you know, what a fighter he is and how much he loves the game and how much he loves his guys. So, uh, just few guys, you know, as passionate about – what they're doing is him, but yeah, just uh, his speech. Like a- anytime he has to give a speech like that to the team, he tends to get uh, emotional, but that's, that's just him. I mean, he wears his emotions on his sleeve, but uh, yeah, man, I, I, I really, you know, that is my brother. I, I grew up an only child and, and yeah, man, we, uh, we spent a lot of times in there, mostly laughing. Uh, when it's time to get serious, we get serious, but just been a great, uh, great battle buddy, man. A great, somebody you can rely on, somebody who's tough. I mean, he's got all those qualities that, that you want out, out of a leader. And, uh, and one thing about it, he just, you know, he works his tail off. I think that's a a great thing for as building culture is, you know, when these new guys come in, they see these guys in their 13th, fourteen season, whatever they are, and how hard they work, it, you know, sets a great initiative for, you know, what they need to be doing.
0: Yeah, I love that. and And you can really feel that brotherhood that exists with you guys. Um, it's something that I love so much about the team. All right. So let's talk about the Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee. You are the nominee for Philadelphia, uh, for the Philadelphia Eagles. Super exciting. And, um, if you don't know, uh, each nominee gets to pick a charity. Uh, Lane announced, uh, just last month that the Travis Mannion Foundation was his charity of choice for the Walter Payton man of the year nominee. What that means is a few things. Um, One of them being a charity challenge, which is happening right now. The voting ends on Monday. So I think currently you're in second place lane and yeah, we're trying to get you into first voting ends on Monday. And what that means is just, you got to vote. And In true NFL fashion, you can vote more than once. I like to sit on my phone and just vote and vote and vote. And there's a lot of different ways to do it. But um, tell me a little bit about why you chose the Travis Manning Foundation and what it would mean. So that's the charity challenge piece that ends Monday. And what it would mean to you to uh, to win that charity challenge for the Travis Manning Foundation.
1: Yeah, that'd be awesome. I just think... You know, the Travis Manion Foundation obviously aligns with what our views were and then the Gold Star families. And then I, I feel like it really resonated with, with Gabe since he was Marine. And, um, yeah, I mean, I felt like it, it went hand in hand. And it's all about us supporting people and, and, and helping people. And so I feel like that's what your vision is. That's what mine is. And, and yeah, the race is on. Uh, we don't have much time left uh, for voting. So get the voting. Yeah. Um, you're changing a lot of lives, you're impacting a lot of people. And, um, you know, and man, that's what it's, that's what it's all about.
0: Yeah. Well, we could not appreciate your support anymore for bringing uh broader awareness to the Travis Manning foundation. And I just want to say personally to you, you know, um, the Philadelphia Eagles, the entire organization, like it's, it's a part of my family. Uh, my dad has been a season ticket holder since I was young. You know, growing up in a military family, I lived all over the country. I was born in North Carolina, I lived in California, in Washington, DC, all over. But guess one thing rang true? We were always Philadelphia Eagles fans. And my dad may have been live, we may have been living in North Carolina. My dad still had season tickets at Veterans Stadium. You know, he was passing them out to his family and friends when we weren't in the area. But when we came back here, when he left active duty um, and we settled back into the Philadelphia area, my brother was never missing a game. And so, you know, I remember being at the last game at Veterans stadium with my brother. It was the NFC championship game that uh, we should have won and we didn't. And I watched hundreds of grown men crying as I walked out of that stadium. But The memories I had sharing that game with my brother were everything. And, you know, moving into the link, um, you know, just the times that we spent there are so meaningful and mean so much. And, you know, I mean, the last thing my brother did just a few days before he left for his second deployment to Iraq was going to a Philadelphia Eagles game. He flew home from California to go to an Eagles game. And I've shared the story with you about, you know, as he was leaving that game and my husband, Dave, you know, jokingly turned to him and told him he was going to push him down the stairs so he wouldn't have to go back to Iraq. And, you know, Travis, Travis got real serious and said, if I don't go back to Iraq, someone else much, much less prepared is going to go in my place. If not me, then who? And every time I walk up the stairs into a game, I think about my brother saying that and. I know the exact staircase in the link where he spoke those words. And so I try to enter and exit from that stairwell each time, but I think about how an organization and how a team can mean so much to someone. And so when you think about, when you say like, we're just entertainers, no, like you're entertainers that are playing a bigger role in society, right? So you have these Marines that are going to fight in foreign lands across the world. And what's most important to them is watching your team play, you know, and that's what it was for my brother. Um, And I think about now those same season tickets that my brother sat in, my nine-year-old son named after him is sitting in them at every game. So, you know, that heritage continues generationally. And I just, I want to give gratitude to you and the entire Eagles organization um, for being a part of our world and our family for so many years and need you to know how special it is. And I'm sure you hear it from fans all the time. I mean, and there are no fans like Philly fans. We are die hard. And um, I mean, you see it every day, I'm sure. But uh, it just, it means so much to so many uh, across the, across this country. Um, and so I wanna thank you for that. And thank you for helping to build that relationship with the Eagles even closer in helping to highlight us in the work that we do.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you really don't realize how much of an impact this game has on people and in the community. Um I remember the Super Bowl um in 2018, the parade that people were dumping for on Broad Street. I'm like, well, this is it's pretty serious around here. But you <laughs> know, I gotta that growing up in Texas, I realized how big football was really across the state and how much people look forward to it and how much it brought people together and, and how much just people enjoyed the game. So, um, you know, there's, there's, there's not a place like Philly and you just see it in our fans and how passionate they are. And, and it is what it is. I mean, people love this game. So um, yeah, it's, it's been awesome to to team up and it's really been a big, a big year in 2023 and, and hopefully a better one in 2024. So um, this is just the beginning.
0: I love it. And, Like they say, Philly fans, you either love us or you hate us, right? That's it. Yeah. And most of the people outside of Philly hate us, but that's okay. Nobody likes us. We don't care. Lane, I want to finish with the final question I asked everybody on the Resilient Life podcast, and that is, what does living a resilient life look like for you? Uh,
1: It's the ability to adapt and overcome obstacles, whatever's in your path, uh, to have a vision, to have a goal, and... And to aim for it, and don't let anything get in your way. Um, life isn't easy; it's going to have a, a lot of its a lot of challenges. Um, they're going to test you, and um, you know, in the end, you're going to be able to look back and and uh, be proud to be able to overcome it and and become a stronger person.
0: I love it, Lane. Thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Get out there and vote. Voting ends on Monday. We'll be watching you this weekend uh thanks for all you do
1: yep thank you and uh yeah good to win this week beat the giants
0: yep that's right